Sometimes the most memorable stories we carried with us from military service were just the product of the branch of service we were in or the deployment we were on and the crazy stuff that happens when people with a mission and a common cause live in close quarters. The Garrison Project Podcast tells those stories, your stories, and builds connections across generations of veterans. The Garrison Project, veterans connecting with veterans through the power of storytelling. And now your host, Dan Edinger co-founder of the Garrison Project. Hey everybody, Dan Edinger once again with another episode of the Garrison Project podcast. Uh, as I'm always excited about our guests, I'm especially excited about another guest because this is yet another Marine. I don't know what's going on with this. This is out of control. But uh, today we have Luke Bixler on the show. Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Glad to be here. We start the show out the same way every way, so let's just go ahead and do it that way yet again. Can you tell us about where you're at in the world, what you're doing now, how you keep busy? Because after that, we're going to move into your military service, but give us a little idea about yourself right now. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, so I made the leap uh, out of the military into the corporate world a little over two years ago, um, did 12 years in the Marines, uh, and then switched over to the corporate sector. Um from Florida originally thought I was going to end up back there, uh, but North Carolina has become a great home. And uh, my wife and I recently moved out of the suburbs um, up to a little spot in the country. Uh, we've got a little, you know, a couple uh, acres, some livestock, mm-hmm. garden, things like that, doing the doing the homestead thing. Um, and that's really what keeps me busy most of the time. You've uh, got livestock? <laughs> you, yeah, got so we've, got, we've got chickens right now. Um, we've got some goats on the way. Um, and then we're we're toying with the idea of some pigs, and uh, I would love to have an alpaca, but uh, they're expensive. So, why? Why, why do you want an alpaca for the <laughs> for the for the hair? What is it? Hair or is it fur? What does an alpaca? Yeah, have? yeah. Uh, wool. Um, so they've got uh, a number of benefits. Wool being one of them. Um, so <laughs> my wife's feet are always freezing. So if I can have like a constant source of fuzzy socks for her, I'll be in her good graces forever. Um, so that's one reason. Um, they're also really good guard animals, so that, you know they'll alert what? for predators and stuff like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, what, they have this. What do they uh, do? You, you gotta, you gotta look it up. They've got this call. Um, I can't. I'm not even gonna try to to mimic it, but it's. Like, stop, please, <laughs> please do try. What? How's it go? It's just like this kind of low, like. It's not I really a growl. Picture. I can't. I can't picture. Can you try it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, just, go ahead. It's almost like a whine. Yeah, it's like a, like a door, like a creaky door shutting. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, they, they'll, they'll alert. Oh, I looked it up, man. You, you got you to look it up. <laughs> How much, if somebody wanted an alpaca, what are we talking about here? How much are we talking So the local local ones that I've investigated, we'll, we'll, we'll say investigated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're, and, you know, there's a whole rabbit hole here like there is with other livestock where you can talk about pedigrees and uh-huh. breeds and all sorts of stuff like that. But the ones, the ones here that I was looking at, they started like four grand. Um, oh, my Lord. If, and of course, you know, they get lonely if they're by themselves. They got to get yeah. a pair. So it's, As we a whole, all do. it's a whole thing. Right. <laughs> are they, are they, so, um, how shall I say, tasty eventually? Or do you just keep them for the wool? I, I would just keep them for the wool. Um, I don't know. I've, so I've eaten camel. I guess that would be okay. probably the closest thing. Um, yeah. And camel was not very tasty. So I can't imagine they would be. <laughs> did, so did you do some time in the desert? Sounds like you did if you're eating camel. 
Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember in? Did you have to go through Kuwait? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you remember like the uh, little area there, Arif John? If that's where you went through, where you could buy all the souvenirs, and they had camel bone boxes that you could buy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Do you have any still? Did you, did you keep any? No, I, I got some as gifts for um, you know, family members and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. What I always thought were really cool were those uh, those puzzle boxes they had, where you got to like manipulate it to really open the little compartment yeah. in there. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what all about, sorts of trinkets and stuff. I remember getting uh, for my kids, they had a camel that had a, a silly music box in it. When you squeezed it, it, uh, it might even be like an insensitive thing now, but it was like <laughs> an Arabic song or something, kind of like a uh, caricature. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, would, I, w- I was about to do it, and I was like, maybe I shouldn't do that. That doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> but, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll look up that sound. You look up the sound of alpacas, and we'll just call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have a place uh in the around charlotte or are you out out of you said you're out of town so but that's you live yeah in we're uh we're about 45 minutes uh northwest uh of, of charlotte um up in catawba county very cool and uh yeah it's great up here it's uh it's quiet it's peaceful yeah. um you know we, we tried the city life my wife and i are neither of us grew up in that type of environment Mm-hmm. Um, we're both from more rural areas. Uh, so we tried it for a little bit. Um, you know, it was a good place to land kind of when I got out of the military. Um, yeah. I, I started work when I was on terminal leave. So I just really just needed a spot <laughs> to, uh, yeah. to put Same my here. stuff and, and get dressed for work. Um, so it was good for, you know, a couple of years that we had it. We, we didn't have any real complaints. Um, just, just happy to be out and be able to stretch out a little bit more. Uh, so you said, uh, married any, any kids or any other family around you? Yeah, I've got a 10-year-old from a, a previous marriage, um, mm-hmm. and then my wife now is pregnant, uh, expecting expecting a little girl over the summer, so we're really excited hey. about that. Congratulations. That's really awesome. Thanks, man. Absolutely. The, uh, now, tell us, uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording. I'm, I'm wondering if that, is that thing that we talked about going to be what people would never guess about you, or do you have something uh, better? So I was going to start with that, but then I heard... Uh, Tyler's episode, you know, he was talking about being the chicken man, and I'm like, all right, I got to come up with something different. Yeah, you, and um, it can't, you can't be a chicken man as well. I get it with the chickens, so you can't, that can't be it. But let's go. What tell tell yeah. people two things that they would never guess about you? So, growing up, I was always big into music, um, but being a middle class white guy, I didn't have any sort of rhythm or <laughs> couldn't dance, couldn't do anything like that. Uh, so no matter what instrument I tried, it was just a strikeout. You know, I really wanted to play the drums. I thought drums was, was super cool, um, but again, no rhythm. Yeah. Um, dabbled in the piano, dabbled in clarinet, and I'm like, these are I'm not doing these instruments anymore. Um, right. So I got away from the instruments and joined the choir, learned how to sing, um, and that I really enjoyed because I could I could okay. do that. And uh, yeah. um, we got to the point. So I was about 15. Uh, this is around you know year 2000, 2001 maybe. Um, when the uh, the genre, the boy band genre, was really really going, um, you get your Backstreet Boys, you get NSYNC, all the spinoffs, and uh, my hometown was was not going to miss out on the uh, the hype. So uh, one of our local producers, uh, he just put out a call on the radio. Hey, anybody interested in, in auditioning? Uh, I'm putting together a boy band. It's like, man, this is it. This is this is it right here. And 
so they, they had open mic auditions. Like you called into the radio station and like sang like a couple bars of a song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you either got picked or you didn't. Uh, well, I'm, I'm here as a veteran. Obviously, I'm not a, a boy band veteran. Uh, so, you know, didn't get picked. Um, but uh, I, that's, I tried, man. You <laughs> <laughs> tried out for a boy band. <laughs> yeah. Were you, you planning on doing like, know. moves and everything? What's that? Were you planning on, like, was this going to be with the moves, like the choreographed oh, numbers? I was, I was in. I was going to be the next Justin Timberlake. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you do you ever sing uh, karaoke? <laughs> oh yeah, so you know, I, I deployed to the Philippines a couple of times, man. Karaoke is like the national yeah. thing to do over there. What what's your go to oh, yeah. karaoke song after this boy band experience? <laughs> uh, I got to stick to the boy band genre, man. Any, anything <laughs> like you put some Backstreet Boys on, it's 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 going down. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. What what about that that other thing you were going to tell us? <laughs> or or did you say you switched from your first one to that one because yeah yeah of- yes yeah, I, I switched to that one because of the you know i don't want to i don't you know don't want to get territorial with the other the other chicken man <laughs> tyler would be so angry he's a big boy right. <laughs> <I'm terrified>. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah that's okay. that's it um you know i don't know what's worse that i tried out for it or that i just tried out for it didn't even make it you know yeah <laughs> So, my excuse so, now is that boot camp destroyed my voice. I can't sing anymore. I'm retired. We're not doing it. <laughs> um, so, uh, you were you were in the Marine Corps. You are a Marine because I got yelled at for saying former Marine, and I apologize to everybody about that. Um, so, uh, tell us about why a little bit about how you joined, and then uh, a real quick version of your uh, career, and then we're gonna get into a couple of stories. Sure. Uh, so growing up, uh, my grandfather was my biggest inspiration. He was uh, an Army Green Beret. Um, he was at Pearl Harbor when it got attacked. He oh. you know, fought in Pacific theater. He fought in the European theater. He fought in Korea. Um, so, you know, growing up hearing his stories, seeing all of his you know, pictures and memorabilia and, and, and all this stuff, and, um, you know, just picking his brain about service, I was kind of, I was always headed in that direction, um, minus a slight detour into, you know, boy, man. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, 9-11 happened. I was a uh, junior in high school, uh, 16, about to turn 17. Yeah. Um, I had uh, a couple of college prospects lined up. I'd applied to a couple of places. Uh, but, you know, when when the towers got hit, yeah. all that kind of went out the window. Um, so I went down to the recruiter station. I was too young to enlist. So they sent me home with like a permission slip to get my parents permission who were yeah. like absolutely absolutely not you were not signing <laughs> that you're going to college um so i did i ended up going to college uh joined army rtc about halfway through wait, wait um, hold, hold, hold there for just one second on the army rtc thing um yep. go back we, i forget what interview we were talking about the towers may have been might have been tyler but um can you remember how you felt when you witnessed that so you were you said you were seven, 17 Right? Yeah. Can you remember how you yeah. felt? It, it was a shock, man. Um, I grew up in a pretty small town. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say sheltered, but it was definitely not like stuff just didn't really happen there. You know, yeah. um, it's certainly nothing on that scale. And I had a couple of friends who they had family that, that lived in New York. Um, 
they weren't in the towers that day, thankfully, but you know, they're all safe. But yeah. seeing like how this stuff kind of affected everybody um, and everybody's reaction to it, it was just like, it was shocked at first and then just mad, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, the army ROTC for, for a bit. Yeah, I did that for a bit. Did the army reserves. Um, I wasn't, uh, I just wasn't, wasn't really into it. You know, I was kind of going through the motions. Um, and, uh, one day a couple of the other cadets and I were talking about like, man, I bet a Sergeant in the Marine Corps has got more authority than I would as a Lieutenant in the army. And, um, our senior enlisted advisor, who's a master Sergeant retired, he was former Green Beret. Um, he pulled us in his office and he's like, shut the door. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> and he looked at, he looked at three of us and he was like, I heard what you guys said. You're absolutely right. And if that's how you feel, then go put your money where your mouth is. And I was like, all right. Uh, so <laughs> dropped out of RTC, um, went and talked to the Marine recruiter, got my contract switched over and uh, left for Marine Corps boot camp about a month after I graduated college. Did so. That's good. Which, and did you go to the East Coast uh, to Paris Island? Yeah. Yeah. Paris Island, um, early uh, 2008. So. Okay. Good. Uh, okay, so then um, I have a, a Paris Island question here in a second, but go ahead and kind of give us a, a summary of what you did in the Marine Corps. And uh, you said 12 years, right? Yep, 12 years. Um, initially, I had a, an infantry contract, um, but in the lap, the time between finishing college and shipping out to boot camp, um, I ended up getting into a really bad car crash. Uh, I had to delay my ship by ship date by about six weeks. Uh, so that ended up switching my contract over to basically an open contract, which I didn't realize at the time how bad of an idea that was. Um, <laughs> That's not good. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> like, but at that point, you know, I didn't care. I was going to be a Marine. That's, that's all that really mattered. Um, so shipped, uh, they ended up giving me the motor transport MOS. Um, did that for the first uh, four years um, and two deployments. And then after the second deployment came back and did a lateral move over to the uh, counterintelligence and human intelligence field. Hmm. So I did that for the rest of my rest of my time. Um, stationed uh, mostly on the East Coast, uh, a little bit mm -hmm. of time in Okinawa, and then uh, you know, a couple deployments with Marine Expeditionary Units um, all over the Middle East, the Pacific, Africa, um, South America. Pretty much got to see everything except for Australia and Antarctica. Did Did you seek out that field? when you did the switch to, you said intelligence, human or whatever. Yeah, I did. Um, that was on my first deployment to, to Iraq. Um, we were out at some fob in the middle of nowhere and you know, it was, you'd been out of contact with your loved ones for like a day. So the first thing you had to do is go find the, the MWR, right. And get, yeah. get the call home. Um, so I run up in there and there's this Marine sitting there and I guess he's a Marine. Um, cause he's wearing camouflage trousers uh like adidas slides and like a blue abercrombie hoodie and <laughs> just like hanging out i'm like who is that guy <laughs> uh yeah. turns out uh turns out his name's matt and he's actually a pretty good friend of mine now um he uh was the, the ci human guy that was assigned to that that area and uh so i learned a little bit about the mos uh when we got back um looked in the lap moving and uh and took the plunge and it was it was great it was a great experience um a great, great field where you could really focus on um, you know, protecting the Marines, giving, giving the commanders yeah. the decision or the information they need to make the right decisions, um, keeping guys out of harm's way. And uh, yeah, it was, 
incredibly fulfilling. That's pretty cool. The um, you so twelve years, and I think I heard you say deployment with an S deployments before you moved into mm-hmm. human, and you did multiple deployments as human. So were these relatively short, or were these like year long deployments, or what was the flavor of those? Uh, it's kind of all over the place. Some were pretty short, a couple months. Uh, others were, you know, full blown six, seven, eight months um, stints. So it was, uh, they, and they kind of seemed to alternate. So it'd be like, I'd do a long one, I'd do a short one, do another long one again. So it was, uh, mm-hmm. always kept me guessing about uh, you know, how long is the next one going to be. Were, were you um, married any of your time in the Marine Corps? Yeah, uh, I was married uh, for a couple of years. Um, Got, got married right after I got back from Iraq and then mm-hmm. uh, split up a couple of years later once I got to Okinawa. Yeah. yeah. It's brutal. And the uh, military life is just brutal. On Yeah, it is. Um, and, you, and you said from Okinawa? You yep. did. You were, okay. The reason why I'm asking that is because, of course, now that we've had a string of Marines and uh, even the last Navy guy who was over in Okinawa, do you yeah. have a bottle of Habusaki? somewhere around <laughs> so here's the deal about me and snakes uh <laughs> <laughs> i am terrified terrified really? of snakes okay um so what was going to happen was when i was leaving okinawa my team at the time um you know you give plaques and gifts and stuff if somebody's leaving yep they were going to get me a bottle of hobby sake and they said they had it one of them had it in their hands mm-hmm. they're about to check out and they're like if i give this to luke he's he's going to unwrap it. He's going to see the snake. He's going to drop it and scream like a little girl and it's going to shatter. And we're going to have snake and sake all it. over the office. Oh, I, yeah. I lost you there for a second. Uh, you said he, uh, your friend's going to give you the bubble of Habusaki. Yeah. So they, they had it in the hand, getting ready to check out. Um, then thought that, you know what, if I give this to Luke, he's going to unwrap it. He's going to see the snake freak out, <laughs> scream like a girl, drop it next. We're going to drop it and have like sake and snakes all over the office. And we just can't have that. <laughs> So they end up giving me something else, which is really nice. <laughs> but yeah, um, so I don't know if, uh, if you heard about the uh, Okinawa World down in Okinawa. Oh. It's a big no. theme park. Uh, so that's where they make a lot of the habusake. And okay. it's, um, you can take a tour, of course, and they've got uh, giant like snake skins on the wall. It's terrifying. This is stuff of nightmares. <laughs> and um, But you're walking through there. You go through the distillery and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you come around at a certain point where you're near in like the gift shop where you can, you can buy all the bottles of sake and stuff like that. And they've got these huge vats, just giant barrels full of like dead snakes just staring at you. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is the worst. <laughs> I was, I was reading something that like they have to do something to, to make it so that it's jaws stay open. Like there's some trick to yeah. making it. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually kind of cruel how they do it. Um, so, I mean, the snakes, snakes alive when they're like, de-venomizing it or whatever they do to, mm-hmm. to kind of lock the jaw in place like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's been a minute since I looked it up, but I think they, they like put it in the jar and like pressurize it somehow. And it just like oh it freaks the snake out and he, he dies. It's, it's terrible. As much as I don't like snakes, I don't even think they deserve that. But, yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Um, yeah. So, uh, so we all know the purpose of the show and that's to tell a story or two about your service that means the most to you, the one that you'll tell your kids and your grandkids when they see your folded up flag on the shelf or your coin collection. So 
the stage is yours. Can you tell us the story that means the most to you about your military service? Yeah, so uh, that would be pretty much the story of my my last deployment. Uh, 2018, uh, I was assigned to the, the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit um, as a CI unit guy. Um, I was the senior senior guy on the team, except for the chief. Um, the chief he ended up getting uh, hurt during the deployment and and sent home, so I had to take over for his spot about halfway through. Um, but during that time, I was uh, the, the staff in UIC for um, intelligence support team. So it was a collection of uh, different intelligence disciplines, uh, different Marines that you know, we had. Myself and my, my partner, another CI human guy. Um, we had a couple of signals intelligence guys, um, some all source analysts, um, geospatial imagery, that type of stuff. You know, all the all the disciplines there. Mm-hmm. Um, and our our goal our, was to provide this holistic kind of intelligence support capability to um, the Marine special operators that were out in East Africa. So we uh, deployed out there with them, um, brought all those capabilities and. Our, our job was twofold. It was well, the overall mission uh, was kind of to, not kind of, it was to uh, basically drop us in the middle of um, Al Shabaab's uh, financial pipeline, mm-hmm. the routes that they used to, to move in and out of uh, the countries over in East Africa, um, and just and disrupt their ability to operate. So we, yeah. uh, our our job as the IST in particular was to, to find targets and uh, give them over to the uh, the Marsoc guys to to go prosecute those targets, um, but we also uh, so the Marine Corps does things a little bit differently when it comes to CI human. Um, other branches you'll focus on one or the other. You'll either be a counterintelligence guy or you'll be a human guy uh, or gal, and the the Marines combine those disciplines into one person uh, because it's the Marine Corps and they're they're going to try to save money. Uh, so they need <laughs> yeah. both jobs. Okay. So we have we have the humans uh, focus of it, which is you know find targets, find the bad guys, you know, help the uh, the raiders go out and find them. Um, but we also have the you know, the the uh, CI onus to protect the forces as well. So we're looking for um, early warnings, indications of hostilities. We're looking for you know what are the bad guys doing? What do they think they know about us? What do they actually know about us? Um, you know what are their Motivations, capabilities, intent, all those good sorts of things. Um, and how do we shape their perception of us and what we're doing? And how do we uh, exploit kind of the gaps that they have in information as well? So uh, it's easy to get wrapped up in the, the targeting piece of it, which is like the fun stuff, you know, going on, mm-hmm. on missions and, and finding the bad guys and stuff like that. Um, but really the the calling for me was the the CI aspect of it, the, the defensive yeah. part, you know, was, um, it was one of the reasons I moved over to the field in the first place, you know, was, mm-hmm. had that, had that first deployment as motor T and you know, it, was, it was 2009. It was not very, not very kinetic at the time. Uh, <laughs> I think we, we saw like two IEDs the whole time, um, <laughs> which, you know, seems like, seems like a lot if you've never seen any, but uh, compared to previous years in Iraq, that's, that's not a lot at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, we, we get these, these roll-ups before we go out on convoy and it's like, Hey, here's all the IDs for the last 30 days. I'm like, that's great. Uh, where are they tonight? You know, I don't really care where they were 30 <laughs> in the last 30 days. I don't know where yeah. they are tonight. Cause that's where we're going out. So that kind of pushed me over into the field. I wanted to be able to, to tell the guys, Hey, here's the threats that you're facing. Um, and here's how you can best mitigate them. So that was, uh, it was, it was great to be able to do that. Um, 
you know, in, in kind of that live environment. Um, so we, uh, we, we touched down, we, we linked up with our support unit. Um, we, uh, and got, got to work and I was just incredibly impressed by everybody's professionalism and dedication to, it wasn't so much the mission. I mean, everyone's dedicated to the mission, mm-hmm. but it was really, you know, that there's like less than a hundred of us on this little base in the middle of Africa. That's all you, that's all you've got. You know, <laughs> there's, there, there is no QRF. There's nobody coming. It's yep. like, we, we only have us to depend on each other. Um, so the mission quickly shifts to like, all right, how do we keep each other safe? Uh, what can we do to you know, make sure that the bad guy doesn't get the drop on us? Um, so we, I mean, everybody's working, you know, working themselves to the bone 24 hours a day, you know, we're meeting sources, our, our signals guys are doing their signals thing, which still seems like magic to me, the stuff that they can do with the radio. Right. Um, you know, staying up all night, writing reports, getting targeting packages out. So these people just never sleeping, <laughs> uh, just always focused, but, but you wanted to, because that was, that was what was important. Um, yeah. so long story short, we were able to, uh, there are a couple of like notable incidents, um, that we were able to report on, uh, that really saved a bunch of lives. Um, yeah. so that's, that was really what it was all about. I mean, we, there was one night where uh, we got a call um, about a mosque that was being used to store uh, anti-aircraft weapons. Um, so quickly getting that information out to the people that need it. You know, as we had, there were some elements of uh, some of the uh, Joint Special Operations Command that were flying around there. Um, mm-hmm. They needed to know that, hey, there's this mosque right outside of uh, this town that, you know, if you fly near it, it's probably it's not going to be a good day. Um, right. So we got the information to them. They were able to verify it. Somebody else went out there and and uh, removed that equipment. I guess is probably the, best, the <laughs> correct way to say it. Um, right. Take care of it. Yeah. So and we, we were able to stop a couple of aircraft from getting shot down. Um, got some other reporting of vehicles that are being used as uh, vehicle-borne IEDs um, that were set to target one of our positions within the next you know, 24 hours or so. They will get that out, um, get those vehicles uh, off the road as well. Um, so it was, you know, I, lo- I look back on a lot of stuff that I, I did throughout my career and always ask myself, was it worth like being away from the family, being away from the kids? Was it worth all the stress, pain, all this kind of stuff? Um, mm-hmm. But that that's one period where I can look back on it and be like, yep, yep, no question about it. Would you say that that was? Uh, I think I'm guessing the answer to this would be yes, but was that your most challenging? Don't know if it was the most physically demanding, but was it the most challenging as you for you as a Marine professional, Marine Corps professional? That's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, it, it was. It was um, as we were we were coming in as you know attachments from another unit. Um, yeah. So you've already kind of you're supporting these this unit who you didn't do the work up with. Um, now you're on their base, you're you're eating their chow, you're taking up their bed space, um, you're providing a service. I mean, it's valuable. It's not like they don't get any benefit out of it. Still, managing that relationship was um, was challenging at first, but our our partners, the, the Raiders, were really really awesome uh, and receptive to uh, what we we're there to do and, and how to help out. Uh, the real challenging part was 
technically we belong to the mu still a conventional asset who's floating around in the Mediterranean somewhere mm-hmm. trying to balance what they their requirements are for us and you know, we're we're out here on the on the ground trying to support the guys that are pulling the trigger and then we're getting all these crazy requirements from you know a completely different <laughs> part of the world <laughs> and I'm like oh we need you guys to do this i'm like uh it's gonna have to wait because we you know we got this serious thing going on here um, so yeah, it was a lot of relationships to balance there and uh, try to keep everybody happy, which you're never going to be able to do. But what do you think you learned about yourself in that deployment? If anything, um, man, that's a great question. I never really thought about that. Um, I think just keeping, keeping, uh, having a clear picture of what your mission is, not getting sidetracked with, uh, things that you think you should be doing. And, and just kind of knowing what you're there to do. Uh, and I've, I've tried to apply that in the civilian world, corporate world as well. You know, cause it's easy to get that mission creep and, you know, mm-hmm. just start going after different tasks and different things about, uh, of that nature. But, you know, taking the time to kind of check in with yourself and with the team, um, make sure everybody knows what they need to be doing and, and has the, you know, as a uh, team chief, you're supposed to remove the obstacles from, from mm-hmm. your, from what they need to be doing. So are you, are you doing enough of that? Um, what, what else can you be doing to help your guys get the job done? Cause that's, you know, that's really what's the most important. Are there, um, from this 12 years and what, when you actually went to boot camp, how old were you? Cause you were doing the ROTC thing and all that. When, how old were you when you went to boot camp? Uh, I turned, I turned 24, 23 or 24 when I went through boot camp. I was on Firewatch actually in the middle of the night. It was a great way to celebrate my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, uh, my youngest uh, did four years in the Marine Corps. He was telling me about uh, doing fire watch and getting the crap oh, yeah. out of him oh, yeah. by the drill instructors. Oh yeah, but, oh, yeah. Um, it was, the, uh, like being being alone on an island and you've just got all these like you know predators around you because <laughs> everybody's asleep. Everybody's gonna pretend they don't hear anything when yeah. when the GIs come in. Yeah, crazy. So the uh, that twelve years you. When you were just, when I asked you what you learned about yourself, you were talking about that. Are there a, a couple of other things that when you, you know, go through your day or whatever, or your mind's just wandering, are there a couple of things where you're like, this is clearly something that was ingrained in me in the Marine Corps and I live it today because I did it for 12 years. Are there other things? Yeah. Um, when it comes to taking care of people, I mean, that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's the, that was the core of, of the job that was, you know, the great responsibility that comes with leadership, um, the, you know, the trust that people place in you as a leader to, you know, take care of them and, and to get them what they need. Um, I've learned too, uh, one of a couple of things, I had a platoon sergeant when I was first coming up who, he was just like, you could make a book out of the, just the quotes and wisdom that this guy <laughs> spouted <laughs> off, you know, extremely, extremely quotable. But, uh, yeah, he told me one time, um, uh, this is before I lap moved. I was still back in the, uh, back in the motor pool. Um, I was doing a little stint in the company office as, as a company clerk and uh, nobody wants that job. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's, you're just everybody's little admin gopher. Like it, it's horrible. Um, <laughs> and so I was complaining, complaining about something one day and he hears me and he's like, you know, if you're complaining and you don't have a solution in mind, then you're just complaining. You know, you're just, you're not doing yeah. anything. Like if it's not worth coming up with a solution, then it's really not that big of a deal. I'm like, eh, yeah. 
I don't want you to be right, but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I've always tried to, to kind of help that shape, shape my decision making. Um, you know, when I approach a situation, I'm like, all right, is this really something I'm complaining about or is there something I can actually fix here? The, uh, there's going to be, a, uh, I was talking with a, a partner of mine that kind of helps out with, uh, this, with the garrison project. And we were thinking we would start doing some uh, podcast shorts, if you will, uh, to specifically mm -hmm. talk to veterans and what they need. Because what I want to do with this effort is to address, sorry, I've got a 10 week old puppy that's whining underneath me. If, if you heard that, but, um, the, uh, to specifically address needs, right? Like I'm into tangible stuff as opposed to, yeah. you know, just kind of PowerPoints and, and all that kind of silliness. So I wanted to ask you maybe, and this will help me lead into this in the coming weeks. When you were transitioning out, uh, where, where were you, where were you stationed when you were transitioning out of the Marine Corps? I was at Camp Lejeune, uh, okay. Eastern North Carolina. Got it. So what would, when you look back, what was the one thing that you either needed and didn't get or needed and made a huge difference or, or something, what was the one thing that you needed most in your transition plan? So the, uh, the transition seminar that they put us through is it's kind of like a check in the box. Uh, there's really no, yep. it's, it's a starting point, you know, it's probably better than nothing. Um, yeah. And I'm not trying to disparage the people that participate in that. Good people you know, doing good work, right? It's just, yeah. <laughs> Trying uh, hard, doing good work. <laughs> yeah, but I, I found that, like, I really needed help translating experiences into, uh, away from military speak. I'm, uh, a good buddy of mine, he uh, he got out a little bit before I did. And I remember sending him my resume. I was like, hey, man, you just mind looking over this for me? You've been in the corporate world for a while. And uh he, he sent it back and it was just like red pinned to death with all this yeah. jargon and terminology and stuff that I had in there. And, yep. and every, he, there's, I put something in there about being a force multiplier and he <laughs> highlighted it in red and he was like, oh my God. like delete this from your resume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And he's like, delete this from your resume and probably from your entire vocabulary. <laughs> Let me guess, when, when you were writing that, were you doing like the knife hand? I'm a force multiplier. <laughs> oh man. I know I was, I was writing it like I was writing myself up for like a, an award, you know, I was, you, you were going to see how awesome I was through this, <laughs> this thing. See, so that, um, just getting like solid guidance from, from people that actually know, uh, and yeah. have had, have experienced that, um, it was hugely invaluable. I mean, I got more out of just that one red pinned email from, <laughs> from my buddy than I did from, you know, the week of transition seminar. That's, um, that's awesome. Well, so my, uh, well, my plan is, is do these, uh, kind of podcast shorts to specifically ask people, give, let's get questions out and put it out to the community and get like specific answers. Like I need this and connect it with people who say, I know how to do that, do this, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, being respectful of your time, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, what I'd like to hear and what I hope the audience as well would like to hear is what is the thing that really gets you going now? What drives you? And especially if there's some connection back to your 12 years in the Marine Corps, what really gets you going these days? Uh, so I was able to find a civilian career that actually, I feel like there's a sense of purpose attached to it. Wow. Um, I work in the, I, I thought I was going to get stuck in the 
like military to defense contractor to you know yeah. private firm pipeline that which is not a bad thing um uh, but it wasn't for me i don't want to live in dc i don't want to mm-hmm. you know i don't want to do all that kind of stuff um so i was fortunate to get out and i actually actually landed in the utilities industry um doing a lot of the stuff that i was doing on the counterintelligence side for critical infrastructure you know looking for vulnerabilities um looking for identifying threats finding ways to mitigate threats to the grid um, mm-hmm. keep it keep it operational keep it stable um, I thought I was going to be bored. I thought no way is there going to be like a compelling adversary out there, but I, I couldn't have been further from the truth. I mean, we've got you know, left, right, doesn't matter your political persuasion. There's, there's mm-hmm. somebody all over the spectrum that, that is, uh, wants to target the grid and, and our assets and things like that. So, um, so I still get a chance to, you know, get up and, and do something meaningful every day, uh, when it comes to that. Yeah. You said uh, a sense of purpose, huh? That's, oh yeah, uh, that's, that's crucial. It is. Yep. Well, uh, thank you for your time on the show. It was outstanding as I expected it would be. And there, apparently, there's a trend that all veterans are awesome. I'm not positive what that's all about, but <laughs> apparently, well, you've had a lot of Marines lately, so you know. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Common denominator. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, but uh, but Luke, thanks for thanks for making the appearance on the show and is, are there any social handles you want to share or any efforts that uh, you want to speak to real quick before we wrap up? Um, I'll give a quick plug for Veterati. Uh, oh, cool. I'm not sure if you or the audience are, are familiar with that, but uh, a volunteer with that organization um, provides it's kind of, it's a, a free service where uh, targeted towards transitioning service members um, to kind of connect with, with people that have um, moved on to private sector life. Um, and some government as well, um, mm-hmm. basically a civilian career. And uh, it's a method to find mentorship, learn about different jobs, learn about different opportunities, and just kind of connect and build a network uh, for somebody who's transitioning out. So it's a, been volunteering with them for about two years now, um, done several mentoring sessions, and it's uh, I feel like it's a great way to give back, and it's a good way for uh, people to get some good perspective and, and some advice. So. Yeah, like uh... – common theme tangible things that people can put in practice mm-hmm. right so that's right yep luke bixler united states marine corps thanks for making uh, the appearance we'll wrap up off air i appreciate you being on the show thanks dan appreciate it you have been listening to the garrison project podcast with dan edinger veterans connecting with veterans across generations through the power of storytelling Look for us on the web and social media, and please share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks for the support. Like us whenever you listen to our podcast, and stay tuned for more episodes.